This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going better than your croaky self. <laughs> I managed to pick up a very good virus. It's fantastic. Lovely to be sitting at home coughing when I could be outside doing exciting things. How's the writing going? Writing's going very well. Actually, I've just sent you something quite cool, which I'm um, excited to share if it works. Uh, which is based on your recent trip to Fakatani and our trip to the beach looking at shells. So um, I'm kind of excited about creating a model around that. And who are we introducing today? Today we're introducing someone who I think has got the coolest job I've ever heard of. Um, Megan Hughes um, is coming to us today from Wellington but would usually be found doing her job as an island keeper on Quarantine Island. I think that is amazing. Welcome, Megan, and thanks for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me. It's, um, it's will be the most exciting part of my day today, talking to you guys, so that's great. <laughs> Welcome, Megan. How was your bubble life? Well, um, I, I know that the I always kind of start the story of, how the how the lockdown was for us um by acknowledging that for a lot of people it was really difficult and um and we shouldn't gloss over the fact that it was actually a a huge struggle for a lot of families um for my family it was kind of five of the best weeks that we'd spent together ever so we were incredibly fortunate just really really lucky and there was a set of circumstances that all kind of came together to um yeah to really produce a, a really great time for us so we were very lucky where were you for the lockdown so um we are originally from wellington where i am today um just back visiting for a little bit but um we'd moved down to dunedin um just to spend some time with some family down there um and we were only supposed to be down there for six months so we landed um in broad bay on the peninsula um, and within within a week, we'd gone into lockdown um, after we'd arrived. So the kids had had three days of school, two days of that was a camp, <laughs> school <laughs> camp, and then um, and then we were in lockdown. So um, yeah, so that's where we were, and I could not have picked a more wonderful, beautiful place to be imprisoned, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so was were you in Broad Bay or on the island for the lockdown? So we were in Broad Bay. Um, initially, our plan was to just be in Dunedin for six months. 
So from March until September, uh, my husband is uh, was at that time still working as a member of Parliament and in, in, in Parliament. So we were kind of working towards um, the election day. And uh, after that, we planned to be back in Wellington um, and kind of sorting out a different kind of adventure for ourselves. Um, originally, it was that we would be um, sailing this year with the kids and around the South Pacific um, and spending a couple of years on a boat with them. Um, so, yeah, the Broad Bay, the Dunedin, was only supposed to be a temporary thing. And then, uh, yeah, halfway through lockdown, we just had a sudden realisation that the plans that we had been working towards for the last two years were just not going to eventuate. I mean, even now, you know, we're only just starting to open up a very limited um, travel to uh, to the Pacific, um, to the South Pacific. Um, and we also realised that we were struggling a bit being in small, confined quarters with our children. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> That was a good of a rethink, and it was during the lockdown that um, that I heard of the job being advertised on Kamo Tōrua on um, on Quarantine Island, and it just seems like the most perfect um, kind of yeah alternative to what we had been planning. And I was just so lucky to be offered the position, um, and that's where we landed. So we came to um, Quarantine Island in July last year. To an island instead of a boat. Yes, we get to use a boat every day, so we have to use our small, our small wooden dinghy with a six uh, horsepower outboard to get the kids over to the mainland to get to school. So um, that's really fun, um, and it, we still we we love being on the water, but just absolutely adore it. So yeah, the plan of of sailing and and going and spending some time adventuring around the world in a boat is still pretty appealing to us. And it's just you. Just your family on the island? Yeah, correct. So we're the only permanent residents on the island. So it's myself and my husband, Gareth, and our two kids. Um, got a um, 13-year-old called Arlo, and uh, he started his first year at high school this year, so he's down at um, Bayfield. And our daughter, Zoe, who's 10 years old and is still going to Broad Bay School. Uh, but we host a lot of people on the island. Island, the community that um, that I'm a part of uh, manages a, a lodge accommodation on the island. So we have a lot of school groups coming. Um, sometimes we have um, families coming for um, holidays, and uh, lots of people coming to do some volunteer work in the reserve. Um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we're never lonely. <laughs> Could probably deal so, with a little bit more loneliness, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to well boat the kids across across the harbour to get to school yeah that's right yeah yeah um it's usually my husband doing the um the morning run which suits me quite fine so that everybody gets um padded up with wet weather gear and life jackets and piles into the boat and then heads over to uh portobello um and hopping off at portobello um yeah and then arlo gets the bus into town that's right yeah yeah um, and Zoe just usually uh, walks down to school from Portobello or has, she's got a little push scooter, which is really good. Yeah, the, the new um, cycle walkway that they've put along the peninsula is just fantastic. It's just so great. Uh, and the stretch between Portobello and Broad Bay has, um, has, has, has been completed before we arrived. So um, there's some ongoing work going there, but 
yeah, it's fantastic. It's really good. That's going yeah. to be incredible. And then repeat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be incredible when they've got the full loop going, isn't it? I mean, you can get from right around. And then you'll have lots of people yeah. taking the ferry across in front of your place. Yes, yeah, yeah. So port to port, um, yeah, they do a fairly regular service across across the harbour. And, um, yeah, the the loop that you can do on the bikes all around the harbour, I think, is, like, fantastic. And so she comes past the island all the time. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Pratik Kuhad. Oh, love. Why mm-hmm. this one? Yep. So <laughs> it didn't take me very long to get um, my music choices up. Uh, I just looked on my Spotify playlist and looked back to see it, the the things I was listening to around the time of the lockdown. And this song was on um, a regular playlist that I was listening to. And the reason why I picked it is because immediately I remembered, um, I remembered having this experience of walking out our gate, going for kind of your daily exercise and, um, and heading out the gate and up, uh, Bacon Road towards Bacon Track and um, I just kept going and I ended up at the top of Hediweka of Harbourcone um, and this song was on my playlist as I was going and I kept thinking should I am I going too far should I turn around is this kind of out of bounds is this not quite this is really pushing the limit of you can have a stroll around your backyard but um, it was on my playlist as I was yeah trudging up to the very top and it was just the most magic view from the top of it I just had no idea how stunning the area was um looking over the harbour and down to Hooper's Inlet um and Papua Nui Inlet and you can see the island over there and it was just it was gorgeous so that's why I picked this one don't worry about me I've got another hour so to kill don't worry about me I'll find another place to begin, it's overdone. Have faith, have patience, my love. To know which hurt, the rest is yet to come. Oh, it's time. Oh, love, be mine. No, go slow. So high. Don't worry about me, I'll fake another trip to every Don't worry about me, I've got a million tricks up my sleeve, we'll never know. How near, how far can this go? So don't you fret, my dear, by now you should know Oh, it's time Oh, love, be mine Behold these eyes Oh, love, it's time Oh, you tune 
find another place to begin you found another place to begin you've moved to the island yes what do you do what what's the role of the island keeper so in a broad sense in the broadest sense the role of the island keeper is to be um kaitiaki of the island basically um the island is a public reserve so it's co-managed between the department of conservation and small community group that uh has a huge privilege of, of still having a presence on the island. Um, they started by uh, leasing the island back in the late 1950s before the island was returned to public land. Um, and they did an extraordinary amount of work uh, cleaning up the island. Um, the quarantine station buildings had largely been fallen into disrepair. Um, so they had to make that safe for people. Um, they restored one of the buildings, so we have the married quarters. Um, so a lot of my job is to um, to both keep an eye on those buildings and make sure that they're um, safe and being looked after, but also encouraging visitors when they come over to um, to appreciate the history and the also the huge amount of mahi that's gone into restoring and keeping those buildings there. Um, and I also organise a lot of volunteers to go out into the reserve to do ecological work. So the community is really focused at the moment on a restoration plan, uh, helping to restore the natural ecosystem, the natural well-being of the island. Uh, so a lot of my job is doing that. Um, at the moment, I usually spend about two hours out on the island every day on my own, um, doing you know weed control or planting or pest control and yeah. So it's always something. <laughs> it's always different. <laughs> and you've, it's, it's an island, so it's surrounded by water. When we swam past with Billy Bellman, um, we, we stopped for a, a stop for a chat. The water around there is really clear. It's, it's really, really nice water. And the day we went past, there were a zillion fish. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We were going through, um, I think there was just something very seasonal about the fish that just uh, suddenly by the thousands yeah come past the island and they do loops of the island so you can stand out on the jetty and you can see them come past they'll go under the jetty there'll be thousands of them in a big shoal and then and they'll they'll head off in one direction and you can almost time it they'll be back in 25 minutes and they'll, they'll come <laughs> from, from the other direction towards you this time and then you'll get the sea lion coming and chasing them and doing the same thing, doing big, yeah, 
turns around the island. Um, yeah, it's the, the island, the harbour itself. I just can't believe how. I mean, I'm from Wellington. We have a harbour here. But um, I look at it differently now than uh, before, just always having this appreciation of the beauty of, of the harbour and the island itself. It's, we're so lucky to be there. While you were walking around on Heriwaker during the lockdown and wondering if you should be there and deciding that it was local, I was doing exactly the same thing on the other side, on top of Mihiwaka. Oh, wow. it, <laughs> um, and it was stunning, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I I mean, I had to take breaks every two minutes anyway because it's incredibly <laughs> steep. But um, it was gorgeous you'd walk up the hill for another you know 100 meters and you'd turn around and you'd just see like even more of this view would be exposed beneath you and it was just every time you looked around you'd just see how beautiful it is I mean it is really I think it's one of the most beautiful places in the country to be honest um yeah so the island's history is that it was a quarantine island did people make the link of between that and the the pandemic? Oh, yeah. I think there's been a pretty significant resurgence of interest in the island because of this kind of connection that we have with um, history repeating itself again, essentially. Um, the island was used as a quarantine station from the late 1860s. It was built um, and the main buildings were taking in people pretty steadily from the 1870s all the way through until the 1920s, late 1920s, when it was decommissioned and it was actually leased out as farmland after that. Um, so the first period of quarantine history, the first era really, was um, a lot of migrants, immigrants coming in to the area. Um, 9,000 people came through the quarantine station over its time uh, and the island still has a small graveyard um, there's 70, about 73 people buried in the graveyard and most of the people there are young children and infants, um, which uh, is really sad um, and it's, it's always somewhere that we respect a lot and we tell people, you know, the story of the, of the graveyard and sometimes a couple of stories about people who are there um, to really encourage people to show, um, you know, monarchy over that place. But... Um, yeah, if you think about 9,000 people and, and only 70, um, 75, uh, less than 75 people who, are, who, who died on the island, and not all of them died from illnesses, uh, quite a few women died from um, childbirth experiences and that kind of thing as well. So they were really well looked after. It was about getting people well, yeah. And that getting people well has continued, not in the quarantine sense, but lots of people go to the island as... As, as a retreat, lots of people come back saying that it was, it felt not, maybe some of them do say it was spiritual, but certainly a, a refreshing experience. Yeah, that's a really wonderful thing for you to say, because I, I feel that too. Um, you know, the, a lot of the work that the community does now is focused on kind of this, the, the restoration of um, the ecological well-being of the island, but we always get a sense that when people come to the island and if they get an opportunity to participate in that project, especially, but in any sense, if they come to the island, the island seems to do this reciprocal restoration of people's own well-being. 
Um, I think there's something really magic about the island being so close. Um, you know, it takes us and our little dinghy with a six horsepower to get over to Portobello in, you know, um, 10 minutes. But you can get over to the island in a bigger, faster boat within minutes from either Port Chalmers or Portobello. Um, but when you get to the island, it feels like you're just somewhere else. It feels like you're far further away from everything else in life that you have that you know you might be having to deal with, um, and even the geography of the place feels like it's it's separate, you know. And I think it's a really great opportunity for a lot of people, and it really does make a a mark on them to have that difference of perspective. Literally, you know, you're standing on a place where you can look up and down the harbour. You can look all the way to Aramoana and all the way down to to the, the city of Dunedin without even moving your feet. Um, and it gives you a different perspective on just life. Um, and I think it does, yeah. I, I, I like to hear when people say that they come back from a visit feeling better, you know, restored. I think that that's really amazing. Because I think it it's, has a sort of a unique ability to feel as though you're away from everything, but also at the sort of the, the centre of the universe, because it's right in the middle of a... A crater, essentially, um, surrounded by big hills on either side, yet yet isolated. Yeah, yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it. Yeah, Um, you know, uh, before it was, um, I think, you know, one of the nicknames of the islands of both um, Kama Todua and Rakariri, Goat Island, which is our sister island, very close to us, just separated by the Nichols Passage. Uh, they were referred to as the Midlands Island, Midland Islands. So it was midway down the harbour. Um, and, yeah, you can look up towards Mount Cargill and see um, actually the, the height of the rim of the volcano that, you know, what, 15 million years ago used to sit right on top of that area. Um, and you can see that that's, you know, that's the level of the, the ground which would, which would be above you standing on the island and so yeah a lot of things have happened geologically in that area um and i love that the islands just managed to stay on <laughs> bubble sprite of the forest of orakunui Dunedin's favorite goddess tahu mackenzie kia ora koutou nga mihi aroha nui kia koutou ko tawaho i hope you're all having the best day beautiful superstars i really hope that wherever you are is happening around you this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are the triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you so as we all know we've been through such an intense time together over the last morning and these five minutes with you have helped me so much in that time thank you so much to sam and the hobblown bubbles team for having me and all of you for being part of the show and of course as we know we are co-evolving with all life in an infinite web we are consciously or otherwise continuously contributing to the shared experience and our consciousness our way of being doing seeing feeling for all of us is unique and precious so thank you for sharing who you are with this lucky world 
We find ourselves today in Autiporti Stuneden in the midst of a deluge of rain and this means that my group of small children have rescheduled to prance about in the forest with me another time. And so today has been an opportunity for me to catch up with all the other various logistical aspects of being a functional member of Consensus Reality at this current time. And we've had a wonderful donation made to us by Oceana Gold. So we're able to bring out all the low-decile schools, which is really exciting, free of charge. So I've been organising that with lots of lovely teachers. And of course, it's so important that for all of us, we can find ways to work together so we can elevate one another's experience and give one another opportunities to have the best adventures, however and whenever we can. Also in the process of organising a memorial concert and film screening event for our lovely friend who passed away earlier this year. And in order to do this, and of course in order to organise anything, it's so helpful and so important to be able to call upon so many different aspects of our community ecosystem. And we're so lucky here in Ōtipoti Stuneden, but I'm sure this is true everywhere. Such diversity is here in our community ecosystem. So really, if you need help with something, there will be someone who can help you. And it's just a matter of finding them. Also excited that we have a show tonight, Tahu and the Takahes, and another part of, of course, our daily existence and survival is enjoying wonderful nourishing food. So I'm organising a big banquet at a lovely restaurant for the two bands. And that will be really exciting. I really hope that for you, whatever's happening at the moment, you're able to feel that sense of interconnectedness and support around you. And it's wonderful for us to feel this locally in our communities. It's wonderful for us to be able to feel this globally as we support each other to move through these tricky times. And of course, on an internal and personal level, it's wonderful to be able to feel connected with different aspects of ourselves when we need help in one area of our life that we can call upon those connections within and we can draw forth that part of us that, that can help us. And I know that for me, I've, I feel that I've developed so many new connections within and without over this last year and I'm so grateful for all of them. I really hope that you're feeling a sense of those connections you have created too and feeling really proud and really grateful. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Megan Hughes. Megan, we've seen lots of societal change over the the past year. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Well, that's a really good question. So um, because we'd really just landed in Dunedin, um, we didn't know anyone really in the area um, down in Broad Bay. Um, and suddenly to be thrust into this environment of being really isolated um, from even trying to get to know people uh, was quite, um, yeah, it was quite a 
really stark experience that we suddenly had to manage. And the thing that really impressed itself upon me was how quickly the community came together. Your local community really mattered. Your neighbours mattered. People down the street mattered. The local dairy mattered. Um, you know, people were looking out for everybody um, writing messages and chalk on the paths to give kids something a bit interesting to do when they were going out for their walks. And I just, I thought that that was just one of the most beautiful expressions of community that I'd ever experienced. Um, and it really got me thinking about the resilience that we have as communities and how important it is to know your neighbours, to know the people living down the street, to know the elderly people who might be a couple of blocks away that, um, you know, might not be the first people to ask for help, but they are the people that you should reach out to to make sure that they're okay. Young parents at home with babies, um, you know, these are, these are people in your backyard, you know. Um, and so that was something that really grew for me this idea of resilience inside communities and what we actually need at the very bottom of it um, and I really hope that that is something which we hold on to now that we're really starting to expand our worlds again um, it's yeah it's really precious um, and it was the first time in my life I've experienced that sense of yeah, of closeness and connectedness to the people immediately around you. It's kind of interesting to me that the the pandemic caused us to not be able to get together and it really reinforced to us how much we want to and need to. That's a really great way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it was really nice to, to be very focused and centred on our family um, but the community Facebook message boards and um, literally the message boards written in chalk out on the road, you know, those things really gave you a sense of being connected, even if you couldn't meet face-to-face -face with someone. Um, there was just other ways that we could communicate and show aroha and show support for people, and that to me was um, just a wonderful expression of, of yeah, of community. Megan, when you made the decision to go and live on an island with all the challenges that living on an island brings, how did you imagine it would be? And if you look back at how you thought it would be, how was it in comparison? Wow, that's a good question. So I wanted an adventure. Um, you know, we'd been spending – my husband has been in Parliament for – more than 10 years at the point that um, we decided that we were kind of finished with that. Uh, and that was 10 years of our children growing up. Um, you know, my daughter was born this, the, the year that he started in Parliament. And so our entire family life was just um, completely overwhelmed by whatever he was doing. And it was always, he was always away. He was always doing things outside the home. And I just had to kind of pick up the pieces and just get on with it. Um, so what I imagined going to the island really would be, would be this, um, this opportunity for us as a family to spend more time together, um, and for us all to be together 
more, just physically together more. And um, that's something which I'm so happy has been a good experience for all of us because it could have gone either way (laughs) (laughs) to be honest (laughs) but um but you know instead of shoving us all into a 30 foot yacht (laughs) and sailing over um you know over into the into the wild blue um we've got a lot more space and we've got more more opportunities to kind of do our own thing but it is so wonderful being with your family um kids grow up so fast um so fast you know we might only have another five years with our son before he moves out of home and uh gareth my husband gareth just really really wanted to have some time with the kids before before we kind of you know waved them out the door um so that they could start their own lives and yeah the island gives us so many opportunities to to be with each other um you know, being on the boat, going to school in the morning is, you know, it's different than going in a car. Um, we can talk to each other. We can, you know, it's it's just, yeah. And then getting home and being able to run around the island and the kids, when it's warmer, the kids go swimming every day off the jetty. Um, so that's been something which I'm really happy has worked out really, really, really well for us. Has everyone got their own little spot on the island that if you can't find one of them, you know, oh, they'll be down on that rock? <laughs> to be honest, I don't want to over-romanticise it because I'm pretty sure you can find my son in front of his computer <laughs> playing Minecraft or, or online playing Dungeons & Dragons with a group of friends. Um, that's the most likely place you're going to find him. But um, but I have secret spots all over the island <laughs> that I go um, and sometimes if they're lucky, I'll show them where they are. And um, yeah, there are some really, really special places. Um, everyone does have a place that, that they like. Yeah. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Christine and the Queens tilted. Why this one? Well, like a lot of New Zealanders during the lockdown, I I went out for walks and I spent quality time with my family and baked a lot of bread, but I also binged watch a lot of Netflix. Um, <laughs> and so one of the series which I got really into was uh, an American series called Better Things. Um, and it's uh, kind of written and pioneered by um, Pamela Adlon, who is just, an, gosh, she's so alluring. She's just an amazing um, creative person. Um, and I, this is, this is, this song was played at the end of one of um, the seasonal episodes. Um, and the family got up and did this. Uh, if you haven't seen the music video for Tilted, it's fantastic. Um, there's this choreographed dance that she does that um, is just really cool. And in Better Things, they recreated it as a family, as a present to the daughter who had graduated from high school. And it was just so cool. For a moment, I was really inspired by the idea that um, we as a family could try and recreate it. But then I just decided to live vicariously through watching it over and over and over again. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe because, I'll reprise that at some point. <laughs> but I because some, some things, you have those good ideas and they are really good ideas until they meet the reality of, oh, Dad, not doing that. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy doing this as a family. 
<laughs> Shut up and enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of things about the pandemic that that we did that was um, 
was good. The the be kind message, various other things. What do you think we can take from how we responded to the pandemic for the longer term questions that we face? Things like climate change, biodiversity collapse or social injustice. Can we mm-hmm. learn stuff? Yeah, it's really interesting. Eh? I remember there was a moment during the lockdown where I thought life is just never going to go back to normal. Even if it goes back to normal, it's just never going to be the way that it was. Um, we've, we're extraordinarily lucky in New Zealand. I tell my kids constantly that um, the experience that they've had during lockdown is nothing like most children around the world. And there'll be a discrepancy in their experiences when they hopefully are adults and go traveling around the world and meet people their own age. Um, inevitably, the conversations are going to come back to lockdown and my kids are going to be like, it was great. You know, we got off school for five weeks and we went for lots of walks. And when we were allowed to go swimming, we went swimming and, you know, and we have an enormous privilege here in this country that we were able to support people. And one thing that I remember being really struck by was how quickly um, the government released um, the purse strings and just instantly allowed a whole cohort of New Zealanders who hadn't potentially been beneficiaries before, but essentially through the financial kind of support that they gave people, um, we all got a taste of what it was like to be supported by the government to get us through tough time. And, um, and it's something which still has a real lasting impression on me because New Zealand has a very, I don't know, tricky relationship with our idea of welfare and supporting people who have it really tough. And, um, I really hope that something, having had the experience of suddenly being really vulnerable and having your normal supply chains disrupted, disrupted your your food security thrown into question, um, your job security thrown into question, would make the rest of us realise that that's the kind of existence that people, many people, have to put up with, you know, on a daily basis, whether we're in lockdown or not. And so I hope this idea of be kind um, extends continually to remember people who aren't as privileged and fortunate as you, um, who 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 need to have ongoing support in order to to have good lives, and for children to be raised out of poverty um, because we owe it to them to do it, not because you know. It's a nice to have. It's something that should be done. And we all had the experience of, of that short amount of time of having the support from the government to do that. So I just, yeah, um, it's, not a, it's not a climate change thing, but it's a social thing. It's a, you know, it's something closer to home. And I, I really do hope that it's something that people remember the experience of so they can be more kind um, and more generous in their hearts um, on on an ongoing basis from now on, yeah. And even those of us that didn't actually need financial support, I think that we can still get that same feeling or that same response from just that sense of vulnerability that we had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, we out on the peninsula, we were a 20-minute drive down to um, uh, Anderson Bay, um, where the supermarkets were 
Um, so we would go down and try and, you know, um, without pushing the limits of hoarding, we would try to go down and get as much as we could to bring back so that we would only have to go down to the supermarket, you know, once every two weeks if we could have, if we possibly could. Um, we were incredibly fortunate that we didn't have to worry about paying bills over that time or really how much those shops were costing us. I mean, when you're going into a supermarket and you're buying two weeks worth of food, you know, that's 400 or $500 at a, at a go for a family of four. Um, some people have to live off less than $100, you know, once all the bills are put aside, once, um, you know, other things are kind of accounted for, you know, that's incredibly tough, really, really tough. And yeah, it is a vulnerable feeling. Um, you not you don't feel in control yourself, and um, yeah, we can learn from that. I think to be more generous. I have some questions to end the show with, and not very much time, so we shall have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh. Um, the biggest success I had, honestly, getting offered the job to be the island keeper um, felt like the most, the biggest achievement that I've ever made. <laughs> I've never wanted something so much. Um, and so, yeah, um, I actually think that that was a real success on my part. I'm glad that they saw me as someone that that would do a good job and um, yeah, I think that that's a good answer to that question. <laughs> so we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? The superpower that's got me into what, sorry? Into the mansion, into the super team of superheroes. Oh, man. Um, okay, so my superpower is connection. I love being able to connect people and things together. I I like being able to hear people's ideas and figure out a way that we can we can connect that to reality and actually make it happen. Um, yeah, I'm connectedness awesome lady. <laughs> so, do you consider yourself to be an activist? Ah, um, yes. I mean, I spent my um, teenage years and my early 20s as an, act as an activist. Um, uh, I cut my teeth on um, going to protests and um, I was trained in the Greenpeace climb team. Um, I got hapu, I got pregnant before I was able to put myself on the line. But um, it's in my blood. It's definitely something which um, I continue to do in different ways now. Um, to try and affect change. But, yeah, I think activist as a term can be a bit scary for a lot of people, but I would actually say when you get into a conversation with them, a lot of the work that they do um, is actually activism, and we shouldn't be afraid of that term. We should actually embrace it um, really strongly. And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, um well, on a daily basis at the moment, normally on the island, um, I open up my curtains and I have the best view out my bedroom window of anybody in the entire world, I think. 
um, I look right over to Portobello and I look right down onto the water and um, I get up in the morning to be able to open up those curtains to see what it looks like outside. It's actually the thing, literally the thing that gets me out of bed. Um, and it's sometimes it's dark and it's mysterious and other times you can just see the light cracking through and it's gorgeous and and the reconnection with the with nature and with with the world that we actually live in I think is just something which really triggers a sense of um, get up and go within me you would have seen gray and rainy this morning although for a brief moment it lit up on the western sky bright pink with a rainbow and then it went away again. I saw my husband posted uh, some photos on his Instagram and um, those morning rainbows are just, gosh, I mean, how magic. Absolutely magic. So what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or two? Yeah, so, well, I feel like in a way we're reconstructing our lives um, and um, it's an ongoing process, you know, um, we wanted to have more adventure and more family time and um, what we've been working on is trying to really establish a work-life balance, more of a sustainable way of for us to live, to, you know, as people, but also be able to do work. So, um, yeah, the biggest challenge is for us ahead of trying to find a way to be able to contribute the skills and the experience that we have towards really meaningful projects um, because I, I'm someone who I can't really do a nine to five that I, I don't have a really deep connection with the work that I do. So, um, so that's challenging because it means having to be a bit creative with, um, with what you do and, and how you approach things. It means having to, um, not go after the, you know, the potentially the steady paycheck or the big bucks, which is fine. But, um, yeah, that's something that I'm really looking forward to is, yeah. Um, and Gareth and I, I work together a lot, so we kind of job share in life, really, and that's been a really wonderful thing to to develop more since he's been home. So we'll keep working on that. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Just general life advice? Yeah. <laughs> Come to the island. <laughs> um, <laughs> Go for an adventure. I mean, not everybody's got an island somewhere, you know. Um, some early community members um, uh, talked about the island being a long, thin place and that every city needs a long, thin place. And it's somewhere new to go. It's somewhere to find a new perspective on life. And when things are, when things are looking, um, you know, bad or when things just turn into a drudge, um, literally the best thing you can do is find a new perspective, even if you're looking back on your own house or back on your own city or just find somewhere high, find somewhere different to look back onto it and you'll see it from a different angle and you'll, yeah, hopefully it'll inspire you to think about the same thing in a different way. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Mawera. Megan, it's a beautiful thing that you do, you and your family, um, Although you've talked about being motivated to do it for that family time, what you've done in doing that is enabled an entire community access to a space they wouldn't otherwise be able to come and maintaining that and sharing the history of that. And it's a, it's a pretty special thing that you've done and a wonderful commitment and thank you for doing it. 
Thank you. That's really kind. That's really lovely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. It's been such a treat. with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Nanasoy's Bay Dunedin with Mwera Karatai in Fakatani and from Wellington today, but normally on Kamal Tarua, Quarantine Island, Megan Hughes. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.